and still real liquor. Which is what counts. All right. Here, okay. Actually, I I had one other thing before the recording started, uh, and I'll tell you what. If the answer is no, then we'll just skip it. So I want to talk about Downton Abbey and another British thing, but is that bad form before? No, you... I, I've, I've gone through the, my period of mourning. So I've had my five days. I'm good now. So so the fact that QE2 isn't in the, in the ground yet? <laughs> I mean, it goes on for so long. There's only so much mourning we can do. <laughs> okay, very good. You ready? Brian, Brian's ready. He pushed record. <laughs> I, I, I was hoping that we'd get a good soundbite in there when you were talking about the hidden hooch. And uh, we did. <laughs> Howdy. Welcome to the Managing Expectations podcast. We are so happy to be back with you after a delay. It's great to be here. And thank you so much for joining us. Again, I'm Jeff Winger. With me, as always, is the aide-de-camp, Brian Grimm. Howdy, Brian. Howdy, Jeff. Nice to see you. And uh, the nephew, Paul Southern. Howdy, Paul. Howdy, cool, Uncle Jeff. How's it going? Terrific. Paul also goes by Bernie Fingers. <laughs> <laughs> more on that later. More, more on that later. So, um, you know, there's <laughs> the uh, war, death, famine, and pestilence continue to rage all around the globe. And if you think you've got problems, Mrs. Winger recently discovered Downton Abbey. <laughs> so... I didn't realize this was the guilty pleasures episode. It's I assure you it is not. You you just summed up the you just summed up the entire show before you told us what show it was. <laughs> um so so uh um there's a there's an episode of driving uh, comedians in cars getting coffee where Jerry Seinfeld uh, meets with Colin Quinn and another guy. Uh, and I, I, forgive me, but I, I forget his name. He's another New York guy. And uh, while they're getting coffee, somebody, I, at some point they're talking about people who like, <laughs> what, like, what are you supposed to say to someone who's really lost the will to live? And Colin Quinn says, uh, or, or like, like, what reasons could there be for continuing on? And Colin Quinn says, um, I think Downton Abbey's supposed to be kind of good. <laughs> or I, I hear Downton Abbey's good. And friends, I'm here to tell you that if that was the thing between me and the big sleep, uh, if I didn't have any other reasons, I'm not sure Downton Abbey would keep me on this side of uh, the, the turf. So 
I found the whole thing. Okay, so uh, we, we, Brian, what the whole thing? You watched I the didn't whole. Watch, no, I didn't watch the whole thing. I okay. watched part. Okay. I watched. Um, okay, for, for one thing, it is a show where if you miss six or seven episodes, you can pick right up. I mean, you you don't you don't you don't need to have the um, you know the broken down episode guide. It's very much like Frasier in that sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's funny you should mention Frasier. So Mrs. Winger's been belly aching about um, not having a thing to watch on TV. So I like it with all of our streaming channels. So I'm like, okay, we'll watch this. So I, we watched like three episodes of the, of the Mary Tyler Moore show. We watched the uh, first two episodes and um, we watched uh, the one from like season five or six, Chuckles Bites the Dust, which is just considered a comedic classic about the death of Chuckles the Clown. I don't want to give too much away. There's a spoiler in that one. But uh, um, let me tell you, boys, Mary Tyler Moore was uh, a lovely creature. And not for nothing, Cloris Leachman and Betty White, who I both thought were like old ladies when I was a kid, because, you know, what, I'd have been, <laughs> I'd have been like six or seven years old the first season. Um and they, they were, were like gorgeous. they were like thirty years older than you at that time, <laughs> and and now I'm and now I'm twenty five years older than they were then. So, <laughs> yeah, time time has the last laugh. But anyway, more on Mary Tyler Moore at some some later date. So Mrs. Wingers discovered Downton Abbey, which is a, um, Brian. Could you could you describe Downton Abbey for us? Because I'm sure that would. Mrs. Grimm and young, your daughter, you you have a working familiarity. Of the two guys sitting here, you're asking me to give the synopsis of it? I mean, I'm not. I am because, because look, I, I think that Paul is more of the. Uh... Well, the problem is bro, Jeff knows that I've lived it, so it's difficult for me to. <laughs> okay, well. Okay, well, I'd like to, I'd like to have one of you <clears throat> explain Downton Abbey what it is. I mean, obviously, we're coming to this party several years late. Although they're still putting out movies, and probably will until Maggie Smith finally. Yeah, picks I think up. I think that's the conditions of the contract. Only only until Maggie Smith follows the Queen in the, into the big sleep. But uh... whoa, whoa, wait, Brian's Brian's given us the sign. Did Maggie Smith die? Uh, well, I think that. In the last movie, I think that uh, maybe her her character didn't make it. Isn't going to be there for a third movie. Oh man! Oh man! Now we got to put major spoiler alert on the in the show notes now. Yeah. <laughs> major spoiler alert: Maggie Smith's going to die. It, all right. So <laughs> nobody wants to. Nobody wants to say. Okay. So this is. Go ahead. Okay, Let's so uh, uh, set in the early 1900s, 
a, a, a what seems to be a wealthy family living in the uh, on the English countryside um, has run into perhaps there, some financial problems. It's it's safe to call them the landed gentry, right? It's their land. It's their uh, is it a castle? Is it just a mansion? Just just a family estate. Yeah, we call estate. State. See, Paul's got the lingo. <laughs> yeah. um, so as with an estate, there's a lot that goes into keeping that thing running and perhaps they may not be able to. Stop Stop me when I'm lying. Yeah. Um, and so there is a list of characters that follows their trials and tribulations, kind of an upstairs, downstairs type of thing. You see the two different classes. All right, and, I'm gonna uh, say, have you actually seen Upstairs Downstairs? Is that a movie? That's a classic TV series. UK it's TV. a classic TV series. I think was it a BBC show that the PBS yeah. broadcast here? Yeah. That goes all the way back to the 70s, I think. But that was like a huge deal. I mean, I I've seen not a minute. I know that it's available on streaming services, but just as you say, it's it uh, um, illuminates the class divide in england mm -hmm. yep so. okay so there's uh now he's he's sir grantham right uh lord lord grantham oh oh what's the difference so <clears throat> sir is from a knighthood which will be bequeathed by the queen um and a lord is a hereditary title that gets passed down generation to generation aha uh -huh. So Elton John is a knight. Yeah. Yeah, but his kids won't become knights. Aha. But because of the hereditary nature, Lord Grantham's yeah. children, children would then eventually take on the role. Okay. Yeah. As long as they could maintain the estate. Yes. Male, so, male heirs. Yeah. Oh, really? So At women. Women weren't part of the British. No, which is why I think in the early part of that show, you see the whole issue of he doesn't have a son or something, and then they have to find the the next male heir to come in, and you know who's like a I don't know second, third cousin or whatever it is to come in and prepare to be the new lord, effectively lord lord of the, the estate. Yeah. So unless, unless the daughters marry. I think I may, I may be wrong on that because yeah. the oldest the oldest daughter was married. Yes, and was he like a cousin, which is perfectly plausible given the yeah yeah he was some sort of like second second cousin or something something like that. Okay, and um, so he would have become oh Lord of the Manor is Correct. I believe Absolutely. is I believe the yeah. Okay. And so they got people who who like work the land and then there's like the house servants and they wear white ties for dinner. They dress by dressing for dinner. They they dress fancier. Okay, so like in America, a white tie is like the fanciest you can possibly dress. I mean like the White House almost never has a white tie dinner anymore. 
Yeah. That's how fancy it is. And they're doing that every night. Every night. Yeah. And it's quite funny, I think, because there's, there's, I've, I've seen bits where, like, the grandmother, who obviously is from the much, much, you know, Victorian generation, played, go, played by the Maggie Smith, the, the renowned Maggie Smith. Yeah. And she goes absolutely nuts, though, because they're wearing a, a regular jacket instead of their full uh, dinner attire, as they should be, which is quite funny. And that's exactly how it would have been. And she says, another brick in the wall comes out. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Brian, was it possible for you to, wa to watch, to ever see Maggie Smith and not think of Ian McKellen and drag playing Maggie Smith? No. <laughs> Talking no. about Judy Dench, little Judy Dench, little pudgy Judy Dench. Yeah, it it uh, it's one of those things like you they they talk about. There are some things that will imprint on your on your memory or on your mind that it it, it kind of creeps me out, but it's kind of hilarious too. So I don't. It's just in that weird space in my mind. Yeah. Okay. So, so Julian starts watching this and I, and I join her and then like, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll do things and come out and, you know, several episodes have, she's progressed several episodes, but, but it seems to me that the plot had not. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. One, one, one of the daughters um, uh, may be dating somebody that the, may, perhaps a family doesn't approve of. Um, somebody from downstairs may be having some legal trouble. Um, somebody from upstairs may be having some health problems that they don't want the others to know about. And that, I think that goes on for like six episodes or six seasons. <laughs> oh, and then this, the, the, uh, the, the uh, uh, suffragettes are in there at some point. Does that sound right? Well, if you start talking about, if you say suffragette city three times in the mirror, Chris Levine appears. <laughs> you know, uh, Levine, who hosts his own tremendously popular and dare I say regular podcast, um, it is, it has always been a much bigger David Bowie fan than I am. I, I, I just, I don't, I don't love Bowie the way some people do, but I, but we digress. Uh, now here's why, maybe it captures the tensions between upper class and working class. Um, there were things, the things I liked about the working class life, um, I, it, but first of all, it was historically, it was historically, you know, inaccurate. Like the episode, the, the episode where the Spanish flu comes. I mean, it was like literally one episode. It was like one of the biggest <laughs> things in, in modern humanity, you know, like, like 18, 19 million people died. And um, I mean, you know, and, and they didn't have a cure for it. It's not like they had Operation Warp Speed and a vaccine, you know, in, in 18 months. 
um, it just burned itself out. But it was loathsome. You need to read about it. Gina Colada has a good book of, about it. And so does uh, a guy named John Barry. I have them both. I've only read the Colada book. And what's funny is like even so I was like reading a, a biography of uh, Eisenhower and then part of what he made he, he made his bones um, instilling like hygiene discipline in camps, large camps of American troops. By the way, it, it probably came from um, it was it was probably an, an an offshoot of the war in because so many men had been dislocated so many people dislocated um you know biggest ever right i mean it was the great war until they had a bigger war <laughs> at which point it became world war 1 you know the the Athenians didn't don't don't get credit for World War One. Anyway, um, so, so it, I mean it's a historical fact the the this the Spanish flu. Brian, were you were you aware of other uh, historical inaccuracies? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think that you're 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 probably being a little bit nitpicky there about that one, but I think for the rest of it is probably pretty spot on, as they say. Okay, so I just I gave a I, I'm right, but I gave a weak example. Maybe you'd like to share a, a stronger example of historical inaccuracy. I I haven't watched it close enough. That is to say, I haven't watched it at all to know. Seriously? <laughs> but, uh, no, like like it's been on, but you just keep moving. Just keep I moving just keep moving. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm not. All is, right. Is, 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 yeah. Is, is Mr. Bates still around? Okay. Thanks. That's all I need to know. <laughs> He's the one with the stately voice. He's no. the butler. No, 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 Mr. No, Mr. Bates is the one with the, uh, with the cane. He's the valet. Yeah. Some shady past. <laughs> yeah. Dean things. But, but I will, I will say, uh, I don't remember the butler's name, uh, but I will say, uh, uh, oh goodness me from from time to time and it <laughs> makes ella and sarah laugh so oh good that's good uh let's go to english paul paul have you watched uh any downton abbey i have yes and uh you're correct it's incredibly slow incredibly <laughs> repetitive um it kills some time In, whilst i'm waiting for the next star wars miniseries to come out it's uh it's a good time killer. Um, okay. Exciting news. I well, I don't know if it's exciting news or, or not. And listen, I my my interest in Star Wars has been waning to say the least. I'm glad uh, I could have some positive effect in your life. But I, but I will say this that the the that Andor series looks interesting. Does look good. Is that Naomi Rapace in that in that show? Is, is that the uh, female lead, the strong female lead, Brian? With, about without whom you you won't watch a show. <laughs> Have we shared that story? 
<laughs> uh, I doubt if Paul's heard. <laughs> um, I don't know if she's in that or not. Uh, but uh, it's it's based on the the characters or some of the characters uh, that were in Rogue One, and it's based on uh, the, one of the guys who's in that. So looks it looks good. Yeah, doesn't look like she's in it. Sorry, sorry, can't watch that one. Oh, sorry, Jeff. Episode... Sorry, Jeff. Jeff would rather talk about um, Downton Abbey, so we should just stay on task here. I'm just saying, okay, so here's my bottom line on Downton Abbey. After watching a few hours with my wife, just to keep her company, uh, I was ready to become a communist uh, after <laughs> after watching that show. It is so utter, okay, and, and, and I want to say a word or two about social order, okay, because it has its place, but <laughs> it is so exceedingly preposterous that these guys should like get dressed up for like every meal that if they need something they don't go get it they get up and like ring they pull the big you know silk braided gong which rings downtown at which time you know some some kid has to hop to the, the the saddest part I think is that it was like that, and you know, for 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 a long time into the into the twentieth century as well, uh, a lot of places were still like that, um, to to that degree as well, which is you know, like I think especially, and I think it's probably more, it's even more, I don't know, stands out even more for an American, right? For me, it doesn't it doesn't seem that odd, and I think that's because I've I've grown up in the UK and, and around that sort of whole pompous idea of the blue bloods and they have, you know, servants and stuff that wait on their hand and foot. Like you see, you see some of the, some of the bits where like they're still in bed and it's like midday and they've got their breakfast and they're reading the paper and still being waited on, you know, <laughs> hand and foot. But that's sadly how it was. Uh, John Mulaney has a bit about uh, when he was on Saturday night live and uh, um Mick Jagger was a musical guest and he says in that in the week leading up to the show, they were doing prep and he says, and, and Mick Jagger isn't, I like the guy, but he's, it's, it's weird being around somebody like that. Cause he would say diet Coke. And then one would just appear in his hand. <laughs> he says, and, and I don't know about you, but I think that when you just say diet Coke and one appears that might change a man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, re which reminds me of Scott Galloway on um, Adam Newstock. Adam Newman. Um, and that if you if a get if you give a thirty year old billions of dollars and tell him he's Jesus Christ, he's liable to believe you. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, it was yeah. Uh, um, Okay, so as you know, I've had some dealings uh, in Asia and with Asians, and there is, and, and, and you can still see it sometimes um, in the family, right? An extraordinary deference to age and position 
okay? There is high and there is low. We, we, we tend to think of things in terms of better or worse. Um, that which is low is not necessarily worse. That which is high is not necessarily better, but it is high. And that's why you, you know, say please and thank you and you conduct yourself with manners and, and, and so forth. Is, does that ring a bell? I mean, does that, does that sound? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah so. But so was it, so was it, ultimately world war ii that shook all this loose i mean because because there you had men of low birth distinguish themselves against frightening odds right yeah and i think there's um there's a real there's was something that i read a long long time ago that basically they 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 really feel they've pinpointed the 60s as the pivotal moment the kind okay. of the shackles came off. <clears throat> People started to relax more and sort of not, they weren't as, I think that particularly in the UK, things like the rationing had just, you know, finally eased off after the wars. People started to have money again and people were able to, to make their own money as well. There was a lot more, more capital flowing around. So yeah, from that time onwards, you really see then the, the real sort of, it's almost like merging of the classes and the more movement that you started to see as well from people who, you know, could be working class doing good type thing um, was the big, big change. So, so, um, uh, like in, in 47, 48, Britain was broke. I mean, like stone broke. Oh yeah. And, and there was a recession and, um that's when they you really start to see the pullback of empire in the meantime the americans had decided upon the marshall plan which was to sell the germans anything that you could eat wear live in build with and not shoot back <laughs> And, and uh, it's kind of, I think that's a George McGovern line, but uh, maybe the only time you'll ever hear me quote George McGovern, but I, I digress. So, um, the Marshall Plan saved, saved Europe from communism in a way that, say, the British interfering in the Greek election after the war did not and and i'm not be, and i'm not being smug because the americans yeah. would then spend the next 50 you know 40 years um interfering with elections and it almost never had the desired effect yeah. brian you gonna say something no it was it was nothing it was just that that was the the downton abbey connection is that george mcgovern is elizabeth mcgovern's father no she's not no he's not <laughs> I don't know. That's just what I heard. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> um, Elizabeth McGovern, by the way, is a beautiful older woman. And by older, I mean about two minutes older than me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
she's lovely and I hated to see her caught up in this vacuous thing. Frankly, the first daughter is um but you know, but they're all skinny gals. So, you know, that's not great. <laughs> because a skinny gal can do this for you. I'm not I'm not familiar. <laughs> I'm going to leave you out to, to dry on that one. Yeah, you're going to hang me out to dry. All right. Um, oh, um, and then and then so even the lords, the the estates, I, I, I mean, I don't ever know how the economics worked, but it probably didn't make any sense. It was probably, um, you know, and while Downton Abbey's Lord Greystone is um uh you know a, a very good and generally humane lord of the manor um i can't imagine it was like an equitable work relationship especially if you're out in the fields or trying to make the land produce something so um uh there's a movie from like I'm thinking 55 and it's really pretty good. It's uh it's uh Cary Grant, Deborah Carr, um Robert Mitchum and some other actress. So it, it's like a and uh Cary Grant is the lord of the manor but he can't afford to keep anybody on. So there's this like it's like him and his butler and they don't wear white tails to dinner. And um, uh, they have to open it up to for tours to keep it solvent. And this American couple comes through, at which point there's electricity between um, Cary Grant and Deborah Carr, and then um, who's married to Robert Mitchum in the show, and then and 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 thereby hangs the tail. So that's called the grass is greener. If anybody wanted to look at that for a Lord in trouble, a. That's exactly what happened to a majority of these houses because they had lived off of the historic nature of their wealth and hadn't ever, even, even I think it's probably highlighted a little bit in the show they hadn't used the land to the best of its ability. You know, they hadn't farmed it or tried to sell bits off or rent bits of land to other people. Um, and a lot of these houses now are, and I think in fact the, the one that they use in the show is a perfect example. It's what's called a, there's a charitable society called the National Trust, which is basically charged with taking care of all of these sort of historic sites. So yeah, they look after it and they, you know, you can go in and do tours and you can go to the grounds and there's, you know, in great British fashion, tea and cake and yeah, all that sort of good stuff. But they're, they're, they're fascinating places. They're, they're always very beautiful places. Um, but yeah, a lot of them now are, are owned by this trust rather than by the lords and ladies of the manor as it was. Hmm. You know, when we, okay, so this has been my lands over 30 years ago, but we, when we were in, England, we went out to Kent and viewed uh, and toured Churchill's home, which is called Chartwell, and it was super cool. But dare I say, Winston Churchill is a 
notable historical figure, you know, um, having supplied the backbone for the English speaking peoples to stand up to the Nazis. Um, you know, he's not just some, he's not just some guy with a hereditary title. In fact, I don't know. Did Surely he was sure. Surely. I mean, cause his, his family were, were Marlboro's. Yeah. His family were but Brian spelled different from the cigarette. <laughs> it took, took me back to like 10 years old. <laughs> Is that what you, did your dad smoke Marlboro's? He did. Yep. Marlboro red, not in a box, soft pack. You sound like you're receiving instructions to uh, run in and get daddy a pack of smokes. Bring me the change. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't, don't tell your mother I told you to do that. <laughs> you were just doing what you were told. That, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think for the longest time, my old man smoked Salem. Um, and mom smoked, I don't know, something, I don't know, maybe Virginia Slims, probably something that was marketed to women. And then for a while, yeah, I, you know, look, I will say what I will about my parents, but to their credit, they both stopped smoking. And I don't, I don't think it was easy for either one of them. Your dad stopped smoking, right? did yeah he's he had stopped smoking 20 years before he died ain't that a thing okay I, so I, I used i used to work with a guy that would buy um when i was in construction and he would buy the 100s so like the long cigarettes the beer ones and um, well that would save on matches i suppose well uh no he would he would just light one off of another one but he would only I, smoke them he would just smoke them about halfway down light another one off of it and uh, trash, trash the other one. I'm like, why do you, why do you do that? And he looked at me like I was the stupidest person ever. And he's like, that's how I smoke. <laughs> Nancy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I wouldn't know. <laughs> um, interesting. All right. So <laughs> whenever somebody's got a frog in their throat and they say something, it's really horsey. I'm like, what are you still smoking Chesterfields? <laughs> um did don draper smoke luckies through the entire show or did he change after they lost the account uh no he he stayed i think he stayed with luckies roger switched aha uh -huh. do you know what roger switched to I remember seeing it and it stood out to me and I keep thinking parliament, but I don't think parliaments were around back then. So, um, so I don't know that that was a man cigarette though. I think it may have played a part in an episode. Yeah. But he, he switched after, after, uh, after Lee Garner jr. Fired him. So yeah, that was a bad deal. Yeah. All right. Poor Roger, poor Roger Sterling. Yeah. Poor um, guy. Okay. So, uh, Paul, have you ever heard of an of an author named George MacDonald Fraser no, or his no. his series of men's adventures, the Flashman series about Sir Henry Flashman? No. So 
so I read George McDonald Fraser's obituary. All right, so this is also a British thing, which, which is why I'm going to make the um, uh, the pivot. George McDonald. I remember reading George McDonald Fraser's obituary in the Economist in 2008. And it just stuck with me. And I've and I've seen his books. I've seen the I've, the Flashman books are all paperbacks. They were like kind of a big deal. Um, uh, I have I have a uh, a history that Fraser wrote that George McDonald Fraser wrote, uh, and and um, uh, called Safe Quartered Out Here. Uh, so I mean he was, but these books. So so. Uh, on a on a recent road trip, I got a couple books from the public library and uh, audio books from the public library and listened to them uh, between here and Denver and back. And one of them is uh, Royal Flashman, number two in the series. And uh, it's not like you got to start at number one. So the deal about Flashman is he's a coward. He's a rake. He is a... Uh, Un, un insatiable and unrepentant womanizer um and then stuff stuff happens and he becomes a rich hero and he says okay if you think if you think that the uh, mystery solving grannies were taken aback by john d mcdonald <laughs> and uh, the attitudes of travis mcgee we cannot allow them to ever hold a Flashman book in their hands. Uh, he is, okay, so he plays, and I don't even know who would, I mean, maybe like Peter Sellers might've been able to play him, except I think uh, Flashman is like taller and handsome. He's got like the cavalry whiskers um, of, of ancient times, as, as opposed to you, uh, Captain Southern. <laughs> <laughs> and now and and now we've got Christmas Galley mad at you. <laughs> Glad I could help. Seriously, when you look at this guy, is there any doubt that in a different life he could have been an officer taking Basra? Oh yeah, no doubt. Yeah. The yeah, high you... and tight, the dashing mustache. I I didn't see it, but I heard you were great in that Sam Mendes movie, 1918. Wasn't 1918? That was the, uh, that was the, no, that was the sequel, you idiot. It was 1917. <laughs> well, I, you weren't supposed to let that slip, bro. We're still filming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One continuous shot. One continuous shot. Uh, yeah. So I say, let Sam Mendes hate America from that side of the Atlantic Ocean for a while. Speaking of uh, speaking of war, I did go and see the latest Top Gun movie since we last spoke. Okay, this is an all British show. So Flashman would, okay, so like he said, so I was listening to it this morning. Okay, we, look, we can come back to that, you know, this year's propaganda film called if, Top Gun if Maverick. I, if I knew this was an all British episode, then the next segment is the Spice World movie. I'm sorry, there's no escape now. <laughs> if you'd have known it was an all British 
movie would you have brought your bagpipes? I would have. I would have come in my dinner suit. I would have come prepared. <laughs> Steady on, sir. I believe the women have had enough of a fright today. <laughs> see, see, my my dinner suit is a little bit different. It's like snack pants and uh, and, and a, an old T-shirt. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. I you you're gonna you're gonna think so I'm meeting I'm I'm uh, we're we're conducting this meeting here I'm wearing a, a t-shirt it's true, um, but like for dinner I like to wear a collar, for Mrs. Winger, who doesn't appreciate it at all, now that she's discovered, <laughs> soccer, soccer swag. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, so 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 uh, there was so I was listening to part of it this morning, uh, the audiobook, and uh, he says so he's talking about his gift for languages and how it's important to get the rhythm of them, and that's and if you if you can get the rhythm of a language, you have an idea of what the other guy is trying to tell you, even if you don't understand all the words, and um, he but that he has he, so he has a gift and he 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 focused on being able to ask in like a half dozen tongues but he can say s slowly and clearly what is your father's attitude towards strong drink <laughs> Anyway, he seems to hate everyone. I mean, ex except the British, and he hates individual British quite a bit. So, like his, so <laughs> what did he call? He called his wife, um, like something like a yammering blonde trollop. <laughs> so, so the fact that the fact that she's unfaithful won't, uh, um, in. It, he uses to justify his own multiple infidelities. And, uh, uh, you know, he doesn't like the Americans. He doesn't like the Germans. He, he doesn't, I mean, he just doesn't like anybody. He's a completely unsympathetic character who says the most hilarious, inappropriate things sometimes. And I mean, the thing is, he's trying to be funny. McDonald Fraser's trying to be funny uh, when he's writing this, unlike John D. McDonald, who was just doing hard boiled. Yeah, I I think that the uh, the mystery solving grannies are still bothered by the uh, description of the flight attendant <laughs> in a. Uh... The Valkyrie of the jet stream. Mm -hmm. That that's the part that I'm okay repeating. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I still think you know what the episode on the deep blue goodbye was still uh, is is an is an episode that people still listen to, and um, I'd I'd like to do some more John D. McDonald books as we continue um whether or not we get a 31 year, any 31 year old women to join us or not
but anyway, time will tell. All right, Paul, would you like to say a few words about the Spice World movie? I mean, I, I honestly think that we've covered this. Alan Cumming. No, I mean, he was in Josie and the Pussycats. I'm sorry. <laughs> we had that. Yeah, Richard E. Grant. Who? What? Richard E. Grant. Is that not a name that's known? Quite a classical actor in the UK. Did a lot of Shakespeare and Spice World. So it shows you, I think, the level range. of range. In the, yeah, exactly. that's more range than Paul Newman had. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. okay. So, uh, so yeah, no, I just think it's you know, incredibly underrated as a movie. Um, there's a lot of yeah, good it, things going on with it. Strong female leads, uh, which is <laughs> always good for this podcast. So, Okay, so did you ever hear Brian's story? <laughs> as, as he just, so this is how, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please give your attention to Brian Grimm as he, as he develops the theme how I discovered the algorithm. <laughs> uh, Netflix streaming had only been around for a, a couple of years at this point, and uh, we went all in. And when I say we, I mean Sarah Grimm. And so, uh, you know, now that now they have like several different accounts. So, you, like you can, you, like I, I have an account. Sarah has an account, and whatever, so that they can then tailor you know, the, the selections or the recommendations based on things that you might want, want to watch. But at that time it was just me. And so uh, I'm at work and Sarah calls me and she, and she says, I, you know, the, the details leading up to this are a little bit fuzzy, but uh, um, recommendations for one, Brian Charles Grimm, British dramas featuring a strong female lead. <laughs> <laughs> Still slays me. Still slays me. Amazing. That is phenomenal. <laughs> Are you sure you want the internet knowing your middle name? Oh, at this point, they already do. <laughs> I've seen that. I've, speaking of a, a movie with a strong female lead, I've seen that movie uh, with that girl from the bus, The Net. The Net? The Net? <laughs> yeah yeah not since sneakers has there been a such a insightful movie in the uh in, in into the computer world and uh uh the uk's own jeremy northam plays the baddie in that movie he sure as the world does hasn't he played the bad guy and kind of a, i mean he hasn't he been cast as the heavy in a lot of things now i don't think so i think that he's I think that he's kind of been a good guy in most American stuff. And, and uh, he was, he was, uh, uh, boy, now I'm losing it. He was in the, the Gwyneth Paltrow version of Emma as uh, Mr. Uh, I can't remember now. Anyhow. Carrington, Emma, the Winslow Boyle boy, an ideal husband, Enigma, and Gosford Park. By the way, the guy who does uh, uh, Downton Abbey, um, a, a guy named Julian Fellows, apparently wrote Gosford Park, which was 
I think Robert Altman and Helen Mirren was supposed to be good, but I never saw it. That is to say, it got good and serious reviews. I'm Julian Fellows. Or is that somebody else? <laughs> also, also known for, which you may not have expected, School of Rock. Julian Fellows? Yeah, I think he was in it rather than... Uh... Brian Brian referenced uh, a ridiculous Tracy Morgan sketch from Saturday Night Live where he plays, I think, Brian Fellows, and, and he was like he was like a safari guide. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like a nature show. It was supposed to be. It was like a fake nature show. What was his What was his tagline? His uh, making copies in that show. He didn't oh, have one. Uh, no, it was just all over the place. A Tracy Morgan sketch all over the place. <laughs> said, I'm, I'm looking at that rabbit and I wonder, how do you comb your hair? <laughs> it's just stupid. It's just stupid. Which, of course, then reminds me of Mark Wahlberg talks to the animals and yeah. Andy Samberg was like, be in Mark Wahlberg. He's walking through a, you know, TV set barnyard. Like, hello, Mr. Goat. You have a goatee. I had a goatee in my movie. Four brothers. Did you see that? Okay. Say hello to your mother for me. <laughs> and like he does, he does this with all these farm animals. <laughs> And he does it a couple of times, and then Mark Wahlberg shows up and does a guest appearance. And he says, I don't think that that is very respectful or accurate, what you're doing. And uh, that was a little too much Christopher Walken. Anyway, um, Andy, Andy Samberg looks super scared that he's going to get beat up by Mark Wahlberg. And then after he gets a talking to, Mark Wahlberg says, say hello to your mother for me. <laughs> I don't know. So there's, there's there's this American thing where because there's not a landed gentry, um, I, I do think that there was there was a greater sense of order and civility, though not in an aristocratic way, as I think I guess you'd say China had in ancient times and. Well, again, I was saying, okay, but I was saying in Asia, in, that is to say in most Confucian or, or Buddhist systems, I mean, there's a, there's a strong attitude towards your family elders, you know, the, you know, your father, your mother, your grandparents, but some of that's rooted in uh, belief of the afterlife. So like, like really ancestor worship. Uh, but you know, in the in in the here and now, it's just it's kind of rare to uh, to talk back, raise your voice, sass your parents. Um, and obviously, there was a time when that didn't fly here. But I think Paul talking about the '60s and um, 
material, the, the return of material abundance. Um, you had that whole England swings, uh, swing in London, um, which, which is parodied in um, uh, Austin Powers. But if you watch some of the old movies by like Michael Caine um, from the time, you, you start to see it happening. Uh, the same way that you you see like Tony Blair's um, uh, Tony Blair's England uh, demonstrated in like um, Notting Hill and Sliding Doors, right? It, um, instead of rule Brit Britannia, it the expression what to describe it was cool Britannia, cool yeah. Britannia. Anyway, you start to see that in the 60s. And of course, that was when uh, you started to be able to sass your parents and get away with it. And, 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 and for some insight in this, I would direct you to season one, episode two of uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show, where cool Aunt Mary has to raise Cloris Leachman's daughter for a minute because uh, Cl Cloris Leachman, uh, what was her name? Phyllis. Phyllis is... Um, doing all of her reading from from these modern parenting books which is essentially you know the thing that wrecked a generation um you know just giving your entitled entitled little genius whatever they think they need <laughs> because because of course eight-year-olds always make the best decisions for themselves <laughs> okay all right, well, um, fellas, anything else going on? You reading anything we need to know about or you watched a movie? Paul did. Oh, no. no. Paul, uh, you, 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 saw, you saw Top Gun Maverick uh, a couple months after Brian. I think Brian um, waited uh, in line overnight with his son to, to see it at six in the morning. What did you think, Paul? Uh, I thought it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was just a good action movie. I enjoyed it. Yeah, two hours went by very quickly. Um, it was very interesting to me that some of the things that they did with this movie that they haven't been able to do before, like for example, launch an F eighteen off an aircraft carrier and record it, and actually record in the cockpit as well with Tom Cruise in it. Um, that was pretty cool. The fact that they used a lot of actual flight action rather than too much trying to steer clear from CGI, which was, you know, you can sort of tell. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that helps a lot. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's the usual. And I, I didn't feel like I missed anything because I'd never seen the first one. And I still haven't seen the first one. Good. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't feel like I missed anything. You know, I wasn't there sitting wondering, well, what's that person doing? Then, I think I don't remember if one of you guys said, or if it was one of the reviews I'd heard, that basically they do enough sort of like flashbacks during the course of it to give you to fill some of the gaps in, in what, what went on in the first one. Uh, and having um, oh, Iceman there, Val Kilmer, <clears throat> uh, which was very weird because obviously he can't actually speak in real life. Um, what they managed to do to sort of make it work. And it was really good, actually. And they didn't hide the fact of the issues that you had. They actually put, put that into part of the storyline as well, which was 
which is what I thought quite different. So, but no, it was it was a good movie, solid. When it comes out on one of the many streaming services you subscribe to, I would, uh, yeah, recommend. Just you know, yeah. recommend to Mrs. Wenger instead of another episode of Downton. Let's go with uh, some Top Gun tonight. Well, well, <laughs> okay, so you know, epilogue. Uh, during my trip to Denver, Mrs. Winger, in fact, finished Downton Abbey. I don't know if she's—I don't know if she got the movies though. I could probably set her up with movies if she was so inclined. But um, yeah, Caitlin Flanagan wrote a great review of uh, Top Gun Maverick. Brian, you read that, right? I didn't. You didn't? Uh, I don't think. Do I, I didn't do everything for you? <clears throat> yeah. Okay, so Kate, Caitlin Flanagan made made reference to the fact that Val Kilmer, who can't speak, was utilized in Top Gun Maverick. But Kelly McGillis, an actress, roughly, roughly, watch for that. Yep. Roughly Tom Cruise's uh, age uh, was nowhere to be found. And yeah, not even a. Uh... Not even really yeah. referenced. So was the, I don't know, 45-year-old Jennifer Connelly. Uh, was that Maverick's love interest? Or was that give, is that revealing too much of this? Yeah. And, and uh, there was... Intricately woven like a spider web plot. And Yeah. And there was, in, in the original Top Gun movie, there was a reference to somebody's daughter and they did say her name and that's who uh jennifer connelly played so jennifer connelly's related to somebody in the first movie no they 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 like like an admiral's daughter was this person that maverick had had known is, is mentioned in the first movie and that's who in fact she was in in top gun maverick aha uh-huh. okay so there there's a connection so like yeah we don't have to bring back kelly mcgillis because well we clearly had this big plot point in the first one that we left yeah that, that's it that's it um <laughs> what what was interesting is that in the first one i think that the the enemy in the first one was 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 referred to as, as i think it was libya if i'm not mistaken that you know I, I don't think it was named but it was a I mean, what was it maybe libya i think it was named I'm pretty sure it was this time. Uh, uh, you have to guess that it's Iran. Uh, no, no, because they talked about their fifth gen fighters. They have the fifth generation fighters, um, which uh, they didn't say it was Chinese, but oh, I thought it was. I thought the whole thing was blowing up. Uh, was blowing up. Uh, uh, a weapons manufacturing thing that was near a border. Uh, okay, you know, uh, I don't know if this still happens anymore. Maybe not with so much and so forth. But Brian, you remember how youngsters um, would like go out in the neighborhood, ring the doorbell, like ring a neighbor's doorbell, and then run away, and then like watch the old guy come out and say hello. Hello, I'm familiar. Are you familiar? Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually have a story about that, but anyway, as do I. Do you really? Mm-hmm. 
well. Well, and here's my point. Paul gets us talking about Top Gun and then blames his router when he bails. <laughs> and, and now I feel like the guy on the front step saying, hello, hello? Anybody there? <laughs> All right, you want to go? For, you want me to go first? Or you want to go first? I bet you have a better story than I do. Mm, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I want to. If this one is is because it involves people we know. Would they have to be named for the story to be any good? Uh huh. <laughs> okay. So so we're in. Uh, we were still in the Midwest and. There was a guy, okay, so like, it was it was kind of a small town, it was a kind of a small community, and like, you know, people, I mean, like, no, nobody was really close with our family, but like, we knew who people were, you know, and, and there were, there was, you know, it was like, so, like, you know, I was friends with our dentist's kids, they were my age, or, you know, the people across um, the, you know, the people next door to our left, um, she worked at the school cafeteria. Okay. So, so, I mean, people knew people. Well, there was a guy who lived across the street and let me tell you something. Uh, he didn't play and, and look, I, I, I can't gotta say, I don't know how much of this was because, um, you know, I was starting to be, a rotten kid and I don't know how much of it is because my parents um would throw the occasional party um because some of uh my parents friends were a little they weren't like rough like gangsters but they were um to be ill-behaved like the <laughs> the new year's eve all right so like so like we lived on us we lived on a street we were on i'm guessing the east side there was a west side and then beyond that there were woods there, there was like the woods is what we called it mm -hmm. because there's a bunch of trees do, do I, you want me to draw a picture just tell me more about what it looked like okay so there's like <laughs> a creek and and hills and rocks Okay, I, I think I'm get I'm picking up what you're laying down. Go ahead. And, and I hadn't even begun to hate nature as I would come to hate it, Brian. <laughs> um, so anyway, on one particular New Year's Eve, they had um, <laughs> they had they had a friend named Tally, and he may have run with some rough, some rougher folks. He wasn't as gentrified as my mom and dad and the people in Downton Abbey. So at the stroke of midnight, he unloads his uh, sidearm over the houses to the west and into the woods. Now, here's the thing. Um, you can get away with that, I think, in the 70s, you know, but it was kind of funny, even to little, even to Jeffy, she like, all the lights coming on all, all over the west side of the street. They're popping on like what that was. So, so, so when, when was it that Deadwood got the electric light? <laughs> I know. 
But the thing is, all right, the thing is, I have over the years, over my adult life, lived in many neighborhoods where they fired, you know, they, they shot firearms uh, less, less cordial, less, less responsibly than uh, Bill Talley. So, um, so anyway, the neighbor across the street. So I don't know. This se- this seems like a hot summer night. I was ten or eleven, maybe nine, ten, eleven, like that. Um, and there were a couple of us, maybe just one guy, and we decide to do the guy directly across the street. <laughs> you know what? There's a saying, Brian. You don't poop where you eat. Mm-hmm. You, you got to take some of this stuff down the road. Okay. Plus he was like the meanest guy on the street. Okay. So, but I mean, like we left our garage door open. I mean, where, I don't know, we were probably scrounging around trying to find dad's playboys, uh, failing to do so. We decided to go out and ring and rip as we called it. So he was indomitable. He, we had to wait this guy out. Okay, so so like he like comes out with a flashlight and he's looking around and like we got to go. We got to like we got to go to ground, Brian. (laughs) We've got to like take take refuge in the woods in the dark. Okay, (laughs) I mean, and it was like getting to the point where like we were late, like getting back in. Okay. I don't know if anybody's mom came out and like yelled a name, though that seems like it would have been a giveaway. The thing is, I don't think that this was a guy who would have like had a talking to with our 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 fathers. I think he's a guy that would have like grabbed us and called the police. <laughs> Taking it out in the game, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> And it was just, it seemed like forever that he was searching for us. And, uh, and so like, we had to like, and then there was a lady and, and, and she, she was like an older lady. I think she was like the music director of, uh, of one of the big local churches. She, um, her, she was a widow. Uh, and, and, and as I recall the house, she had a sense for what would be safe and what wouldn't for an older single woman. So it was like a large home, but I mean, there weren't a lot of bushes, which is to say for the point of this story, there was no place to hide. Mm-hmm. But I think in a counterintuitive way, we used her, her uh, yard uh, to get down the side to the woods. Mm-hmm. And so like, I remember hiding and like from the woods behind her house and that now we're scared because we don't like want this woman to hear knuckleheads in the bushes, you know, and, and call the cops or whatever. So, um, yeah, it was anyway, finally the guy went back in. I just, I don't think that even at this geezerly stage in my life, if, okay, for one thing, I've never been, nobody's ever ringed and ripped me um i also think that i would be the old guy who fell for the gag where like they light the bag of dog poop on fire Mm -hmm. because of course you would right because if there's a fire on your front porch you want to put it out but then part of me thinks 
I've seen this movie and go inside, get a bottle of water and come out and put the fire out. You know, I'd like to think so. <laughs> so <clears throat> I'll, and I'll share the names of the innocent after off. <laughs> but uh, I'm like 17, 16, 17. And my friends and I were, that is around. too old to it's, be ringing and ripping. It is, but we were bored with nothing to do. And so that's, I mean, teenage boys are at their absolute worst when they are bored and they have nothing to do. Yeah. <clears throat> and so we're out just driving around looking for something to do. And one of the guys had was kind of had a girlfriend, but they weren't like dating, but they kind of were. But then he did something stupid. So she told him to stop calling her. So he said, let's go to, let's go to their house and let's uh, ring and rip. So there's like three of us, three or four of us <clears throat> and uh, parked the car way down the street. And there's a truck parked across the street from the house. And uh, we guy goes up there, rings the doorbell, runs back, hides behind the truck. Porch light comes on. The father comes out, looks around, goes back in. He says, I'm going to do it again. I'm like, no, don't, don't do it again. That's enough. We've had our fun. He says, no, I'm doing it again. So he does it again. He runs over there. You know, we wait like 15 wait, minutes. Are you guys like parked up the street? We're hiding behind the truck across the street so we can all see what's going to happen. May I ask where you parked? I mean, were you like parked across the street or? <laughs> we parked in the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> no, we had enough sense to like park down the street and around the corner. And so uh, uh, he goes up, he does it again, same thing. Guy comes out, looks around this time, but he starts walking around the front of the house a little bit and we're just hanging out. And he okay, I'm back. sorry. So the truck is on the house's side of the street or across the street? Across the street. Okay. And so we're, you know, we're, we're hiding behind the wheel, you know, the, the wheels of the truck. We're hiding behind. Of those. course. So yeah. yeah. What kind of an idiot stands, you know, between them. Yeah. 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 We're really thinking straight there. And uh, he, uh, so he does it a third time. He's, and I'm like, don't do it again. He's like, no, I got to do it one more time. One more time. He does it again. And this time dad comes out with a baseball bat. <laughs> and he goes, oh, you see, I, I kept waiting for the gun to appear. And uh, yeah, he, yeah, he might've been. He might that have been the fourth one. All right. So he comes out with a baseball bat. So you guys can, can you're, you're like peeping down around the wheels. Yep. And I'm, and like when we see the bat, and, like, and, oh, had, and, in, and in three attempts, you hadn't changed your hiding place. No, no. Cause it's working for you. It's working. Yeah. I yeah. mean, if it's working, why would you change? You're good. A, sn a sniper never moves unless he needs to. Right. So. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure that's true, but I'm pretty sure, uh, that's, that's the way they taught us, but I don't know. Maybe they've changed. So, Chris, yeah, Chris Galley right. is fuming. Oh, right. Chris Galley is on fire yeah. right now. <coughs> and uh, so he, the sax he, player for the greatest army in the history of the world only moves when he has to. So uh, he then starts pacing like up and down. he comes out to the street. He's pacing up and down the street. And I'm like, He's going to come over here and he's just going to start swinging. He's just, I just know it, you know, or, or he's going to, we're going to frighten him and he's going to give him a heart attack. 
it's just, it, this is not good. I'm like, guys, we just got to run. We just got to run. We got to get out of here. It's like, no, no, they'll recognize us. And uh, he had been dating the daughter after all. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah plus, plus, he'd, been, he'd been around the house. Yeah. Yeah. Plus we, you know, would see him around from time to time. Right. And, and other places. He might recognize the gate. Yeah. Um, but he didn't, he, he never came across the street and uh, we waited and waited and it seemed like forever. And then, and then we we're finally like, okay, it's safe. And so we just booked it back to the car and got out of there. Okay, man, I feel so much better about doing my stupid thing when I was 10. <laughs> I said, I said, or 16. <laughs> okay. Because well, because Brian, I, Brian, I am shocked and frankly a little disappointed because I never did anything stupid when I was driving between the ages of sixteen and nineteen. And we knew each other then. Yeah, we'd met. Oh, you mean when you did your stupid thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's taken you uh, thirty years to tell me. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, you 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 really feel an acute sense of shame, yeah, or you, just, you, just don't, other, you still don't want it coming around on you? Yeah, there's other stuff that takes up more space in my mind. <laughs> that uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, the guilt section of my hard drive is only so big. It's yeah. pretty big, but even that, it's finite in what it can hold. And so yeah. that that stuff you gotta yeah yeah can, yeah, can you can, can, I, I don't can you, I don't feel acutely guilty for my ring and rip story is is there like a a, a defrag that you can use for your uh, guilt section of your hard drive now that you now that you're a Mac guy you don't ever have to defrag do you don't even no. think about it I haven't done it no. in years why would you <laughs> I know it's it's amazing I can't believe you know it. My old buddy Joe, Uncle Joe, uh, we, you know, when I was telling him we, we, were, we were looking for a car and we said, um, we said, uh, you know, I, I said, I can't afford a Honda. He was trying to get me to buy a Honda. I said, I can't afford a Honda. He goes, you can't afford not to. <laughs> and um, it's like, wow, that's, that's, re- that's a really strong reasoning point. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> he uh so we didn't buy a honda but uh i you know for all those years i i, th- I thought you know I, I can't afford an apple and that's that's largely true it, it it is an extravagance but i mean man now that i'm in the ecosystem you know i mean you don't have to always worry about you know, your, your free subscription to McAfee, you know, antiviral software expiring and doing all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, of course there are downsides like their shocking reliance on Chinese made chips, but it's a, it's quite a device. So have you bought the, um, that like desktop, mini tower yet Mm-mm. no i've t- i've got a mac mini 
that uh yeah but they came out with that new thing it's like a mac mini only tall oh the studio is that what it's called yeah you got yours yet i don't have that no did you you didn't pick it up in your g90 no and i don't have a g90 either and uh no i it looks cool i don't but i don't the truth is, is i i don't need anything like that nobody needs anything like that oh there are people that need it like yeah, the like animation I... department at pixar yeah okay <laughs> are they going to sell another one <laughs> <laughs> all right all right uh let's see so um all right so this has been great this has been great to see you buddy good yeah, to talk um we um are brought to you by mrswinger.com uh where you can still get a quality mask for say visiting people in a nursing home uh going to doctor's appointments um you can check out our own merchandise at managing expectations podcast.com mm -hmm. um uh, just one one morning the t-shirts run a little a little snug and um the poster is 11 by seven in the same way that a two by four is two inches by four inches it's a it's a little it's a little under that um chris levine's uh refresher podcast um just keeps getting better and better he keeps finding a larger and larger and more affluent and influential audience so there's really nothing else we can do for him yeah, he's got members of the band, the the police, giving him shout outs on Instagram. So, can you imagine? And and uh, uh, what was it? What was the name of the drummer? Stuart Copeland. Stuart Copeland's a cool one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Um, oh, and. If in Denver, please don't forget to go buy a graphic novel from Ray at All in the Dream Comics and Books. It's at uh, 3115 East Colfax. Give him a call at uh, area code 303-333-8616. And, uh, or, or get some more information at allinthedream.us. Um, Brian, thanks again for your time. Yeah, man. Good to be with you. For the absent... English Paul, cheerio, and uh, this is Jeff on behalf of the show saying thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.